welcome to the Central Vineyard podcast. We're really pleased you've chosen to join us today. Our vision is to be a transformational church community, following Jesus, joining God in the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us in person if you're able to on a Sunday morning. If you would like more details, you can visit our website at centralvineyard.co.uk. Morning. Oh, I like it when I get a response. People are still awake. It's always, always, always good to be with you on a Sunday, and it's always good to be all together in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> I just have a, I'm doing a little roll call now. Right, who's here? Who's not here? Any messages in the week? Where were you? Right, morning. Anyway, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Deborah. I'm on the team here at Central Vineyard, and it's always a great privilege to bring you the word. This week, we are going to look at verse 3 of Psalm 23. We're halfway through our six-week series, Tarrying, in Psalm 23. Um, If you weren't here for the first two, do go back and have a listen. Um, You can go to our website, centralvineyard.co.uk, or you can find them wherever you normally stream your podcasts from. Um, Dan gave us the first talk, and Pete gave us the second talk, uh, and they were both very life-giving. Before I do anything else, I'm going to pray myself. Father God, I want to thank you that you're here with us. I want to thank you for your invitation to just focus on you, Lord, to just be in your presence here this morning and allow the noise of the world to dial down and to just bring our attention back to you. I ask that my words would be pleasing to you and anything that is not of you, I ask it would not be a distraction, that it would fall away to nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, that's enough of me for now. Pete, have we got a video of Psalm 23? He said yes, here we go. Amen. So we're going to focus on verse three this week. And I particularly like the message um, translation, which is true to your word. You let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. And our title is my rescuer, my guide this week. So our series is based on the book by a chap called W. Philip Keller. He's no relation to Tim Keller. I looked it up. I had to check. I felt like I had to check. He's not. Um, It's been an easy and an insightful read. Philip Keller wrote the book in 1970, which we're not going to count how many years ago that was. Um, But it offers real perspicacity to Psalm 23 because Philip Keller worked as a shepherd and in land management and ranch development, Um, which sounds like a lot of hard work, actually. But I guess he knows what he's talking about. So the author of Psalm 23 is David. 
And those who are already familiar with history and theology, please just bear with me whilst I take a moment for those who might be less familiar. David in the Old Testament, he was also a shepherd, as was his father, Jesse. And he knew how to look after a flock of sheep long before he ever heard of Goliath or anything else. He'd already wrestled bears and wild animals to protect his flock. Now, as well as being known as a man after God's own heart, David went on to become not just a king, but he was known as the shepherd king. So David then was superbly qualified when he opened this psalm with the words, the Lord is my shepherd. David knew what it meant to be a shepherd and a follower of God. He was able to draw the parallel between God's care for his children and a good shepherd's care for his flock. So when we look at this psalm, it's really important to remember that it is a sheep in the care of God who is speaking. It's the voice of the one in the care of the good shepherd that we're hearing. So if that's the case, we might pose the question, why do we need a line such as, he restores my soul in this psalm? If a good shepherd knows what he's doing, why does a sheep need, its, need restoration? Why does it need rescuing? Surely a good shepherd knows what he's doing. Well, a little bit more context reminds us also that David, much loved of God, well, he knew what it meant to be dejected. He knew what it meant to be downcast. He'd experienced defeat and he knew the frustrations of succumbing to temptation. In other words, he was a human being, just like us. In Psalm 42, verse 11, David himself cries out, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Downcast. Cast down. Cast. I don't think about the word cast very often until I was preparing this talk. And I discovered that cast is an old English shepherding term. I grew up in the country. I confess I grew up in the country and I didn't know that. Anybody else know that? No, your hand's going up. I feel a bit better. That's good. A cast sheep is a sheep that has turned over on its back and it can't get up again. Now, I still live in the countryside, and unlike when I was growing up, there's now a village Facebook group. Yeah, anybody have these for where they live? No? Okay, all right. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and explain what happens in a village Facebook group. Um, you have the standard posts, which kind of go, does anybody have any teddy bears for the teddy bears picnic? About once every six weeks, I post, has anybody got any boxes? Happy to collect. And then I collect them, and then I go use them. And particularly in our village, I did a quick search and I, I stopped counting off to 40 posts. There are posts um, that say there is a sheep down and it usually identifies which field the sheep is in and the number on the sheep. Now, what this does is it lets the farmer know that he's got a sheep down somewhere. And I think the farmer only uses Facebook to um, find out what's going on with his sheep. And he's very good because he's got lots of sheep pastures around our village and they're crisscross with footpaths. So when people are out walking their dogs, you know, they'll be walking along Sheepfield off Wellingborough Road before you get to the pocket park. Number 32 is down. John comes on. John Towers, thanks very much. And off he goes and he picks up the sheep, which I think is, I think that's fabulous, actually, because he's, it's really, really important. And I didn't realize how important it was because a cast sheep, a sheep that's on its back is completely helpless. Excuse me, Philip Keller says this. He says, a cast sheep is a very pathetic sight. Lying on its back, its feet in the air, it flays away frantically struggling to stand up without success. Sometimes it will bleat a little for help, but generally it lies there lashing about in frightened frustration. 
Keller goes on to say that if the owner does not arrive very quickly, the sheep will die. And this is why it's important for the shepherd to have a little count of his flock and make sure that they're all present and upright. The thing is, it's not only the shepherd who's keeping an eye out for a sheep that's been cast. A cast sheep is a vulnerable sheep and predators know this. Buzzards, dogs and other animals know that a cast sheep, a sheep who is down, is very easy prey and death is not far off. Even the strongest sheep can become cast, laying down, looking for a little comfort in some depression or hollow. And as they roll out to stretch and relax, the centre of gravity in the sheep's body shifts slightly. And then the sheep is so far on its back, its feet no longer touch or reach the ground. At this point, the poor sheep may feel a sense of panic and start to pour in an attempt to regain their feet. But in actual fact, their pouring makes the situation worse. The sheep rolls over further and regaining its feet has become impossible. So our poor sheep struggles and gases build up in her midsection. And as those gases expand, the blood circulation to her extremities begins to be cut off, including to her legs. It's pretty grim, isn't it? It's not nice for a Sunday morning, sorry. It's going to get worse for a minute before it gets better. (laughs) On a hot and sunny day, um, a car sheep will die very quickly within a few short hours. But if it's cool and cloudy and rainy... Um, she can survive for a few days in that position, which is just grim. If she's carrying lambs, the lambs are at risk with her, which I know it's really grim. But I wanted to share that because there's something that goes alongside that, which is the shepherd's concern for his sheep. And Philip Keller describes this in great detail, his sense of ongoing concern for his flock and how actually very early in the morning, one of the first things he would do is look up into the sky. He would take a look at the sky above where his flock of sheep were to check for buzzards and other birds looking, circling, because they know that that car sheep is vulnerable. And that would give him a quicker indication that a sheep is down. And if he saw the buzzards circling, he would run into the wild pasture where his sheep were to count his flock. He would check for buzzards, and if he saw them circling, he would run into the wild pasture to count his flock. I wonder if that reminds you of something, running into the wild pasture to check the flock. I wonder if it throws new light on another portion of scripture. Doesn't he leave the 99 to go and find the one? Jesus himself says in Luke 15 verses 4 to 6, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. The shepherd's deep concern, the agonising search for his lost sheep, his longing to find that one who has gone missing. And then the shepherd's delight as he not only restores the sheep to its feet, but also back to the flock and to himself again. Isn't that what Jesus does for us, each one of us? How does this change our posture towards Jesus this morning? I wonder whether when hearing about Jesus going after the one who is lost, leaving the 99, any of us have ever felt aggrieved, felt a sense of, what do you mean he leaves me in the open pasture to go and find somebody who's lost? That one's been silly enough to get lost. Aren't the 99 more valuable than the one that's uh, got stuck somewhere? 
if he brings it back, Jones, won't it just be that another one or two have got lost? And then to mix our metaphors, we'll just end up on a wild goose chase or a lost sheep chase. And perhaps that can be our perspective if we look at it as though we were the shepherd. But that's why it matters that we remind ourselves we started by saying, we are the sheep in the care of the good shepherd. The truth about all of us is we will at some point need Jesus to come running into the wild pasture and find us. Somehow, somewhere, each one of us is going to find ourselves flailing around, panicking. And the only way to get back up again will be the shepherd coming to lift us back onto our feet. To stay with us as we steady ourselves, to rub our legs and extremities, to get the blood flowing back to all the right places again. Bring us back to him, talking to us in his soothing voice and staying with us. If Jesus is a good shepherd who cares for his flock, he's not going to merely tip us back up and then be like, right, you're good. I'll see you later. And leave us sort of wobbling around to get lost again, to fall over. And there is joy. Jesus experiences joy when he finds us and brings us back. When he gives us a minute to catch our breath, when he rescues us from being cast. As human beings, we can sometimes project onto God how we might feel. We might feel disappointed that we've got stuck. We might feel frustrated that we've got stuck. God is not like that. He doesn't experience that frustration or that disappointment when we need rescuing. He experiences joy that he's got to us in time. He experiences joy that we've been restored back to him, that he has been able to rescue us back to himself. He experiences the same sensations of anxiety, concern and compassion for men and women as any good shepherd does for his sheep. When we look at the life of Jesus and examine the way he's addressed human need, we see him moving with tenderness, with love and with patience and compassion. We see him come to us when we're cast down quietly, Gently and reassuringly. I just want to share a little personal story. I lost my mum just before Christmas. And it's been long and complicated since then. But finally this week, her house is about to go on the market. In line with her wishes, that's what she wanted. And this week was the week where I had to book a company to come and take away some of the bigger pieces that I couldn't manage. And some of those big pieces were a chest of drawers my dad had painted to match the wardrobe he built for my parents, a dresser they shared, um, some other really big, meaningful bits and pieces that I couldn't cope with on my own. Um, my mum had hung on to them because they were meaningful to her and there was a lot of family history, but it was time this week to let them go. I know before I knew Jesus, this would have been an intolerable task for me to let go of pieces of family history that have travelled through my life that have meaning. It would have been intolerable. I would not have been able to face it with any equanimity or equilibrium. And as Monday night turned to Tuesday morning, I couldn't sleep because I was thinking about this team coming to take away these pieces of furniture. So I meditated on Jesus. And I thought about how he came to rescue me in 2003. And I thought about how he's not left me since. 20 years, he's been my constant companion. I remembered how with every piece of family history that my brother and I have sorted through, with every memory that's come up, 
I just kept remembering the words in Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for good for those who love him, for those he's called according to his purpose. And as I drove to Thrapston on Tuesday morning, I actually had to turn the radio down because I could hear God trying to get through to me. So I turned off Vernon and his tent to the top, which I quite enjoy. Other radio stations are available. And I heard God saying to me, I am the God who sees you. I am the God who sees you. El Roy. I count every tear. I know every hair on your head, Deborah, as you drive to Thrapston and face possibly one of the hardest tasks you face so far. I'm with you. You're not abandoned here. You're not forsaken. You're not on your own. God who called me out of darkness in 2003 does not leave me cast down. He doesn't leave you cast down either. So even though I was on my own on Tuesday directing uh, the operation and making sure the right things left the house because I'd be in so much trouble if the wrong things left the house, um, I took comfort from not being alone, from knowing that Jesus was with me. I could hear Jesus' encouragement to me. We will face hard things, but Jesus faces them with us, with us, and a comfortable life is not necessarily a life lived with Jesus. I can live with discomfort when Jesus is with me in it. It's easier to bear. So what can lead us to be cast down then? What can lead us to get stuck with our metaphorical legs flailing around in the air? Keller describes three reasons for becoming cast down. First of all, sheep look for a soft spot to lie down, rightly so. Who doesn't want a soft spot to lie down and when it's time for a lie down? They look for a soft spot to lie down and in that very search for and reveling in comfort, the sheep become stuck. They become cast. Even if they're fit and healthy, once they're down, they can't get back up. In fact, being fit and healthy is no precursor to preventing getting stuck. It's the same for us as well. Um, We can face a great danger if we're always looking for the easy place. If we're always looking for a comfortable spot where there's no need for endurance, where there's no call for self-discipline. Sometimes self-indulgence can leave us unwilling to forfeit or forego the easy way. And so God is going to move us on, not just for his benefit, but for ours too. And um, nearly six years ago, I left the Church of England and um, somebody said to me, God keeps you moving. He moved you forward. You would have been too comfortable. And so actually that discomfort was really helpful in keeping me moving with God. And I came to the vineyard and whilst my story is not everybody's story and everybody has a different path, that discomfort, God was right in God was right in the middle of it and used it. And I've been so blessed when I look back even now, the blessings from God keeping me moving forward, from preventing me from being too comfortable have just been more than I can count, really. The second reason a sheep can become cast is simply because the sheep is carrying too much wool. Now, you might think, do you know what, Deborah? I don't know if you've noticed this morning, but we are not wearing wool fleeces. Just bear with me, though. As the fleece grows, it becomes matted with mud and manure and, you know, bits of hair. Have you ever seen a sheep up close? They have bits of hedge stuck in them and bits of mud. and It's a bit grim, really. Anyway, their wool gets a bit heavy and they literally get weighed down and then they can't get back up again. In scripture, wool is a depiction of the old self. So priests weren't allowed to enter, high priests weren't allowed to enter the Holy of Holies wearing wool. It's a depiction of the life before we know Christ. It's an outward expression of our inner attitude or posture, the assertion of our hopes and dreams. 
And it's also the area of life where we are continually in contact with the world around us. And it's here that we find those clinging accumulations of ideas, of possessions, of worldly habits, anything that wants to drag us down or hold us down. And so the wall is a metaphor for us of our life before Christ, of anything that might want to take us away from his presence. If a shepherd finds a sheep is being cast down because his fleece is too heavy and long, this has to be swiftly remedied and the sheep must be shorn. That's S-H-O-R-N, not shorn as in Connery or shorn the sheep even. In order to protect the sheep, um, it has to be shorn clean and the sheep doesn't always enjoy it. And if the sheep doesn't enjoy it, the shepherd doesn't enjoy it either because the sheep's having a you know, desperate attempt to get away. So even though neither of them may enjoy the process, once it's done, there's great relief for the shepherd, not just because the process is finished, but because the risk of the sheep becoming stuck has been alleviated. There's also great relief for the sheep. It's been set free. It's been set free of this horrible, heavy, hot woolen fleece that's just weighed down. And if you ever picture a little lamb, have you ever seen them when they sort of bounce off with their legs, spaghetti legs going in all directions? They're so joyful. They're like, bump, 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 bump. We see a lot of it around Broughton. Um, Come for a walk and you can watch the sheep bouncing. It's very cute. There's real restoration and relief when the shearing has been finished. The third reason a sheep can become cast is um, basically they've got a bit fat. They've got too fat. It's often the fatter sheep that become cast the most. The weight simply makes it too hard for them to be nimble and agile. Shepherd's going to monitor his flock and he's going to take long range actions to keep them fit and able. He needs them to be strong, sturdy, and energetic rather than flabby, fat, and weak. It can be the same for us too. If we feel a sense that we've arrived in some way, that we've made it, maybe we've done well in our careers or our business or our homes and we feel like we're flourishing, we can feel a sense of well being and self assurance. And that in turn can bring a risk to us. That can be dangerous. When we're most sure of ourselves is when we're most prone to fall flat. So material success for us is no measure of spiritual health. And affluence is not a criteria of any real sort of godliness. Hebrews 12 tells us that God disciplines those he loves. And at the time, that's tough. He wants to be disciplined in the moment. Nobody likes it when it... I might like the idea of arduous good in theory, but I don't like it when I'm living through it. The deeper truth of God's discipline is it gives us a life of peace and tranquility, free from the fret and frustration of being cast down, getting stuck like helpless sheep. We need discipline of endurance to face life and all the challenges that it's going to bring us because we're not going to have a life free from challenge. That's not the promise to us. In his mercy and love, God makes discipline part of our journey with him, part of the price of belonging to him. And when he exposes us to it, it strengthens and fortifies our faith and our confidence in his control. So what about us here this morning? I've talked a lot about sheep and drawn some of the parallels, but what about us here this morning? Maybe this morning you feel lost. Maybe you need a shepherd to come and get you, to just come on the run to where you are. And mark you as his own. Join you to his herd or flock and say, you belong and you belong to me. 
Do you, if that's you, Jesus has come for you. Will you say yes to him? Will you join his flock? Will you allow him to call you his and lead you back? To look out for you and lift you to your feet again and again when you become stuck? Maybe this morning, actually, you're like a cast sheep on your back, panicking and frustrated, unable to get up, unable to see how you're going to get out of this situation. Maybe this morning, the weight of your fleece metaphorically has pulled you over and you just need Jesus to come and lift you up, restore you and help you get this fleece off to leave behind the muck and the broken hedges and all the burrs and all the field detritus from the world that wants to weigh you down. What is it in your life that's weighing on your fleece? Maybe there's some unforgiveness. Maybe there's something that's come between you and God that's weighing on you, pulling you down, taking God's place in your heart. Maybe this morning you have a stirring in your spirit that you're a little bit too comfortable, that maybe you've arrived and you've made it. Maybe you feel like you have nothing to worry about, but the reality is on the inside you're not moving forward with Jesus. Well, this morning your rescuer says to you, I'm calling you forward. I'm calling you forward. Come with me. Or maybe this morning the reality is you just don't know, actually. You just feel stuck. You're on your back. You feel like the buzzers are circling. You feel like you're at risk and you're panicking. You think no one's going to get to you in time. Everything's going a bit numb and you feel like time is running out on you. Well, Jesus is coming. He's on the run. He's looking for you. And so this morning I want to encourage you, particularly if you're in a season where you feel stuck, And you feel like no one's coming to save you. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm coming. I'm coming to get you. Would you stand? Please. That was very uh, bossy of me. I just, I want to take a moment to respond. Um, We had some words before the break And so I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to um, come and do business. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you feel a a stirring, I just want to encourage you. That's um, the Holy Spirit wanting to meet with you. And so it could be this morning um, that your attention just needs to be drawn back to Jesus And if you feel like your attention has slipped and you agree with that word where you want to extol and you want to praise at all times, I just want to encourage you to put your hands out and to just invite the Holy Spirit to take his place in your heart and remind you That when we get lost, he comes to find us and he brings us back to himself. Maybe this morning, Amy's word was for you. Maybe you've got a strange stirring in your midsection about, I don't know what I'm doing. 
here and maybe that word that you're in the right place at the right time is for you. And I just want to encourage you, if that's you, um, just be assured that God is with you. His sheep know his voice. Don't be afraid to follow where he's calling. And this morning, um, I've had a recurring sense that um, there might, might be one person or more than one person who is asking God for the truth about themselves. Maybe you've been told something that's not quite accurate. And you're asking God, what's true about me? And what God says is, you are beautiful. You're mine. You're covered by my grace and my love.